Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to The Forecast. I'm Post Media National Golf Writer John McCarthy here with Sun Media Golf Writer Dave Hilson. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. This week we are going to have part two of our British Open preview. The Forecast is brought to you by Callaway. Learn more about how to up your game at callawaygolf.ca. This week we're going to have a conversation with Tristan Mullally, Canadian women's national team coach. He is Irish and he worked for five or six years as the senior assistant pro at Royal Port Rush, where the British Open is going to be held next week. It's the 148th British Open. Um, we're going to get into some players that we like, some favorites, some long shots. But before, let's get to a bit of the news of the last couple of days, which is John Daly. Uh, not being allowed to drive his golf cart. Yeah, so the RNA said no to Big John Daly. John's got uh, knee issues, a lot of pain in his knees, doesn't walk really well anymore. And he requested the RNA that he be able to drive a golf cart around the course for the tournament, which he had also done at the PGA Championship. Yeah, he had some diet sodas rolling around in there all week, <laughs> or at least for two days. Yeah, so the PGA Championship said, sure, you can bring a cart anyway the rna refused him and they released a statement yeah, i've got the statement right here we believe that walking the course is an integral part of the championship and is central to the tradition of Lynx golf which is synonymous with the open we must also ensure that as far as possible the challenge is the same for all players in the field now what do you think about that do you think that's a fair decision yeah i mean i think it is. I don't think. I, I think walking the golf course is a part of golf, and uh, I also think in John Daly's particular case, he's got a bad knee, arthritis in the knee. I mean, the doctors. He has doctor's notes, just like we we got for school when he needed them. But I also think there's a lot of things in John Daly's life before this that might have led him to be in the position where he can't walk a golf course. You don't think that John lived a healthy lifestyle? <laughs> I think he had. He might have had a lot of fun at some points, but I think that. Uh, yeah, there's a chance that some of his lifestyle choices made him uh, put him in a golf cart at this point in his life. The, the RNA also added that the golf course is not fit for golf carts. Right. I, I agree. To be, to be honest with you, I think if you've gotten to the point where you have to be in a golf cart, then you shouldn't be competing at that level. It's, people don't understand if they don't golf that walking 18 holes can be grueling and particularly in conditions that might rise over there and it's it's an unfair advantage but but interestingly enough uh daly said that he was going to play anyway Mm -hmm. that he would do his best but then today he officially withdrew because he was bitten 
so he says he was over in England. He was bitten by a brown recluse spider. Hmm. He ended up in the hospital and even had to have mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> like, so with I the always, spider? <laughs> hopefully not with the spider, but you know, I always thought it would be booze or cigarettes that killed John, but it, <laughs> it was almost a spider. So anyway, he's pulled out now, so it's kind of a moot point, but it's still interesting that the RNA you know, was forced into making that decision, and I, I think they made the right decision. Yeah, I was actually off on vacation last week, and I was at a cottage and uh, ran into the biggest spider I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on John's side here. It was terrifying. <laughs> I had to kill it with a copper tone bottle because there was three screaming children, but uh, it was one of the most terrifying things I've had to do recently. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan myself. Okay, so I think we're both in agreement that it's better not uh, that John Daly does not have his golf cart. And, and in the walking the course is even more a part of the culture uh, yeah. overseas. So. Exactly. Agreed. Okay, on to some players we like. Let's look at the favorites first. Uh, so the favorites, are so you got Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. Uh, in sort of the group at the top, uh, who do you like? Okay, first of all, I like Rory, but I'll backtrack to that a little bit because it's hard to you know bet against Brooks Kepka. I mm-hmm. would say he's been in the top one he's finished first, first or second, second at the first three majors this year it's not bad yeah and like he just he has another game when it comes to the majors basically he, you know if you base it on his performance at the 3M Open where he came in uh, 65th this is last week and picked up a couple of triple bogeys and a double bogey, then you would think, no way, this guy's a chance. But he, he's a different man when it comes to the majors. So Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, he's got the caddy, Ricky Elliott, who grew up in Portrush, played a 1,000 rounds of golf there. So he's got some definite uh, advantage with his caddy. And the, when I look at odds, so he's a 10-to-1 was the last I saw Brooks Kepka tied for uh, tied for the favorite. I look at it, odds like that, and I think if they held this tournament 10 times – would Brooks Kepka win it? And I think the answer for me is certainly. And I think, you know, you held the tournament five or six times, there's a very good chance he would win it. So I think I think he's a good bet at 10-1. to 1. That's Brooks Kepka. But you were, you were talking about Rory McIlroy? Yeah, Rory's the co-favorite at this point, also 10-1, to 1, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he also has ties to Port Rush. He set the course record there when he was 15, 61, which is, you know, mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. He's had a heck of a year. He's uh, top tens basically every time he tees it up. He's got a couple wins, one in Hamilton, Players Championship. I mean, he is a more consistent Rory than we've ever seen. Yeah, he's really at the top of the top of his game right now. And I think when he is at the top of his game, he's really hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the last guy, last Englishman, or sorry, he's from Northern Ireland, but the last person from the UK to win the uh, British Open. He did it in 2014 mm-hmm. at Royal Liverpool, which is interesting because that's a Harry Colt designed course. Royal Portrush is also a mm-hmm. Harry Colt designed course. And Hamilton Golf and Country Club, where he won the uh, Canadian Open, is a Harry Colt course. So for Rory, there's got to be something about Harry, right? He, he's a. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, and um, with Rory, it's it, there's a lot of pressure on him this week. I mean, he's going home. He's uh, so I want to see how he handles that. But obviously, those those Kepka and McIlroy, great picks. But nobody wants to bet on ten to one. What kind of money can you win at ten to one? You know, we want to we want to see some. We want some twenty, thirty, forty, eighty to one odd guys that uh, that, that have a chance. So let's get into the next sort of into the mid-range guys. Some guys, when I look at a British Open, I generally look for ball striking because you never know what the weather's going to do. And when it's windy and when it's raining, I want a guy who flushes the ball. So I look at I look for ball strikers. I mean, uh, so I like Tommy Fleetwood, 25 to 1. 
Francesco Molinari, 20-1 to 1 defending champion. I yeah. think both those guys, just pure it. And a guy who's having a good year this year, um, seems to get himself into contention. Former uh, British Open winner at St. Andrews is Louis Oosthuizen, and he's 30-1. to 1. So I like those three guys that stripe the golf ball. Xander Shoffley is another uh, would be mm. another nice bet. Also twenty five to one. He's been having a pretty good uh, year. T two at the Masters, T three at the U.S. Open, and then you go back to last year's uh, British Open at Carnoustie. He was also T two. So I yeah. think it wouldn't be a bad bet. It's only a, num- a matter of time, I think, for Xander. He's a fantastic player. Um, now, now, what about another guy that has some connections to uh, Royal Portrush? Graham McDowell. Graham McDowell, yeah, he qualified at the Canadian Open. He got in with that 30-foot par putt. He uh, has played the course 300 to 500 times, and he is around 50 to 1 last I saw, and he's had a good year. Uh, good year. He's got a win this year. He seems to finally, after you know, after he got married, had some kids, he's, he's got, the, got the game going again. Yeah, he's got a win, uh, three top tens, just missed a cut, T16 at the U.S. Open. His best finish at a British Open was 2012. He was T5, and age is probably going against him. He's, you know, age is certainly going against him. He's 39 now, but mm-hmm. you got to like the fact that he knows the course probably better than anybody else in the field. Yep, yep, for sure. And that so if we're in that sort of 40 to 50 to one range, Jason Day is 40 to one, and it does seem like his uh, having Steve Williams on his bag. He's sort of I've read he's gone through Steve Williams' boot camp. You know, he's got he's got him working harder. And the thing that's not working with his game right now is his chipping and his putting. And that, for, for me, Jason Day, I mean, you almost, who else do you want in the short game? He's got such great hands. I got to think that that will come around. And on the greens over there, you know, not not as lightning quick, perhaps uh, a guy who's, if he's not putting great, he can find something over there. But at 40 to 1, a guy with the talent of Jason Day, this could be sort of the time he reemerges in, in that pack of, uh, of top guys. Yeah, it might not be a bad place to lay a little bit of money as well. And, w- and one guy's name who you're not hearing anything about either is uh, Spieth. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't, he is a, he has won the Claret Jug. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, so, you know, you can't count him out even though he hasn't been... No, I was really bullish on him when it looked like he was coming out of this slump. It was the PGA Championship. I He finished top five, I believe, and uh, his game didn't seem to be there, but he just kept scoring well. And I thought, man, if, this, if he can do this when his game's not quite back... I still think it's only a matter of time that he puts it all back together. I also wonder if some of these, uh, if the Matt Wolf, these 20-year-olds winning, it might light a fire under some of these 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds yeah. thinking, wait a minute, we're supposed to be the young guys. How come, uh, so we're now the old guys, Justin Thomas, 26, Jordan Spieth, 25. So maybe this, uh, not that they need to have a fire lit. They, I'm sure they're, they're pretty into it all the time. But, you know, who knows? I know that is funny to think of Spieth as, a veteran compared yeah, to those yeah. two, and he's only 25 years Matching old. Matching his hairline now. <laughs> um, okay, let's go a little further down the list. Let's look at some, at, at 60 to 1, Sergio Garcia. So he's not had a great year, but he sort of, to me, is kind of like what Phil was five years ago, where you don't really have to have the, the results going into it. It's Five years ago, you'd look at Phil, and it, come major time, you know, if every, if things go right, he could definitely contend. And I think that's where Sergio is in his career. At 60-1, to 1, he's a guy that, you know, you might might be worth looking at. 
Eddie Pepperell. So Eddie is a hard guy to to get a gauge on. He's he's a very unique character. He's a hundred to one last I saw him, but he's got a second and a fourth in his last two events in Europe. I think he had a fourth at the Irish Open. So his game is there. He had he had a great finish at the Players Championship. He's a very interesting guy when you look at one of these weeks. He, I think he he's gonna do it, which is whether it's at a major or just a big event, but uh, I like Eddie Pepperell, and at 100 to 1, why not? Any ideas why he doesn't play more? Well, well, I know why he doesn't play in the PGA Tour, because he says he doesn't want to. He okay. says he likes his life. He likes his life in England. He likes his dog. And he actually was at a, where was it? At the Players' Championship. And he said, well, I don't want to play on the PGA Tour, so I'm not here for that. He said, I... Don't really, because I guess when I look at it, I'm here for the money. He says, <laughs> he, the only thing he could figure, he says he's not, he says, I guess the world ranking points, but I don't care much about that other than staying in the top 50 to get in events. But he's, he's just a unique guy and uh, one of the best interviews in the sport, but he's 100 to 1. I guess I can understand, you know, some people have the adjustment coming over to a different country. They just don't want to do it. So, yep. Uh, a couple of big names we haven't mentioned yet, and one of them that, I kind of like is John Rahm. He just won the Irish Open for the second time uh, last this past week. Yep. And he did it in stunning fashion. He shot 64-62 on the weekend. Now, the last time he won the Irish Open was in 2017, and he didn't uh, perform particularly well after that uh, at the British Open. I think he was T44. So success at the Irish Open doesn't necessarily mean success at the British Open, but he was playing at Lahinch, not far from uh, Royal Portrush, who knows? Yeah, for sure. And he's 24 now, so he's still. We can still, you know, he's not as old as Jordan Spieth. Um, he's a good bet. And let's go one real deep, real deep long shot. Burned Weisberger, 150 oh, yeah. to one, tied for second at the Irish Open. A win in three top tens in his past five starts, and he's got five wins on the European Tour, but he's never been on a Ryder Cup, so he's sort of an under the radar there and here. But I mean. Five wins on the European Tour coming off a T2, 150 to 1. Why not? Burned Wiesberger. I often thought maybe Michelle Wee uh, and him, if they got married, she'd be Michelle Wiesberger. <laughs> it'd be easy. <laughs> that'd be easy. Yeah, it'd be worth throwing some money on him, too. Now, one guy we still have to mention, of course, you can't go any major without mentioning him, and I know he's one of your favorites, Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Tiger, what do you think? Well, I mean, we don't really know because we haven't seen him golf since the uh, U.S. Open. Yeah, he's barely played since the Masters, really. Yeah, right? yeah. so uh, who knows what Tiger we will see there. Obviously, uh, he's, he, if he puts it all together, any, any week he could... He could do it. Yeah, I think weather could really affect him as well because mm. he's been complaining. Well, I don't want to say complaining, but he's been mentioning a lot that he's starting to feel a lot yeah. more aches and pains in his and body. And he feels better when the when, you know, warmer temperatures, yeah. like all of us, warmer temperatures, your body feels a little better uh, trying to swing a golf club. Right. So if it's wet and cool over there, mm-hmm. it's he's probably not going to have a great week. But, you know, if it's high 60s, mid 70s, who knows? Yeah, but he's waking up at 1 a.m. over here. We saw that a social media post. So, I mean, I don't know. think that will help him. Or did you go to bed at one, by 1 a.m. any night this week? I did not. And that's Tiger was getting up and I was still uh, <laughs> just getting home. So I wonder if that explains where we, uh, where we all are in our <laughs> lives at this point. Could be, but it was interesting. He posted on uh, Twitter or Instagram, I'm not sure which, social media anyway. He was saying, good morning, everybody. I'm yeah. up. This is what you have to do to be successful. He's acclimatizing himself to the time change, which is 
I think smart and we talked about that a little bit last week about how we're surprised maybe more players don't go over there earlier just to get used to the time change and Mm -hmm. the weather conditions Tiger's doing it his way I gotta say, this is a stroke of genius. The new Stroke Lab putters from Odyssey are engineered to build a better stroke. Odyssey completely rebalanced the putter by using a multi-material shaft that moved weight towards the head and the grip. You'll feel the difference immediately. And with every putt, you'll actually be building a better stroke. And a better stroke is what makes more putts. The new Stroke Lab from Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Available in stores now. Learn more at odysseygolf.com. I'd like to welcome Tristan Mullally to the show. He's the Canadian women's national team coach. Um, but that's not exactly why we're going to talk to him today, although we might get him back on the line in August before the CP Women's Open to talk more about that. But for this week's British Open preview, as you'll find out in a f- few seconds, Tristan is Irish and he spent a lot of time at Portrush. So welcome to the show, Tristan. Thanks very much, John. So your, your history at Royal Portrush, you were the senior assistant pro. When, when did you work there? Yeah, I uh, went there initially in 1999, and I worked there until 2005. When did you first play the course? Did you you grew up in Ireland? When was the first time you got to play? Um, a couple of years before that, I, I entered the North of Ireland Championship, which is basically the one of the provincial championships. Um, as an amateur team or as an amateur player, I went there and I played for the first time. And where did you grow up in Ireland? I grew up in County Gildare, Straffan. What courses did you play growing up? Uh, I was a member of Nace Golf Club, uh, and my hometown, Straffan, was uh, where the Ryder Cup golf course was, the, the K Club. Hey, Tristan, Dave Hilson here. Just wondering how you made your way, how, how did you end up getting up to Portrush? Uh, I trained at uh, what was the national training facility at City West. Um, as an amateur golfer, and uh, I, you know, was at a point in time in my own career where I was considering options whether I was going to go to the states and, and uh, try and do college, whether I was going to turn professional and play as an amateur. And the, the, one of the professional staff there uh, who worked with the national programs was Gary McNeil, a, a really stellar uh, amateur golfer, played on the Walker Cup team, kind of grew up with Darren Clark and Porter Carrington, but was, you know, a very good coach in his own right. Uh, he trained at Royal County Down under Kevin Whitson. Um, and I got very friendly with Gary while I trained there, and, and when he got the opportunity to be the head professional at Royal Port Rush, it was uh, a huge opportunity for him because the, the previous pro had been there for you know almost 50 years. He's been there a long time, um, and uh, at that point in time, he he wanted somebody uh, to go with him and to to kind of take uh, the junior program under under their wing and to to help him establish a really good coaching program there. And at one of the best golf courses in the world, it was a great opportunity for me. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk plenty about Port Rush, but I'm I'm interested in just sort of golf, golf in Ireland, golf in e- everywhere over there. It, it seems very, it's sort of a different, culturally different. It seems more a part of everyday life. What You've been in both, you know, Canada, the U.S. over there. What what are the differences in sort of the golf culture? Well, I think first and foremost, you can play golf almost every day of the year. So I think, you know, access to golf is a little bit easier. The season isn't as condensed. So you know, I think per capita we have, uh, you know, a, a large portion of golf courses. There's almost 500 golf courses in Ireland for, you know, a pretty small footprint. Ireland is about the tenth size of Ontario. Hmm. Um, so lots of golf courses you can play all year round. And, and so access as a junior was particularly easy. So I think it's easy for families to get out and play together. The cost is certainly a, a little bit cheaper. But the way clubs interact with each other, there's a lot of competition. And that competition is really 
what kind of drives people playing the game and, and because there's so many courses within a small area a lot of clubs will play against each other in inter-club competition that you know feeds junior programs and feeds junior players who then want to go on and, and be competitive and play in provincial and national championships when you when you say you can play all year long are those conditions that north americans would uh, appreciate or not really is that like cold no, rainy weather i don't weather? think so i don't think so <laughs> I often get people here saying when it's a cold and damp day, or you know, these are conditions that that you're used to. And I also tell them that's probably why I left. But uh, <laughs> it does it does get a little bit damp and cold. You know, we play play in the winter time in probably three or four degrees with lots of layers, and Ooh. you certainly have to own your game. But uh, you know, I think when people tune into the British, uh, especially if it's windy windy or wet conditions, they kind of get a taste for for how it can be and the type of things that you have to do. And generally, the, the person who's under the control of their game. Um, can do uh, can do the best, and I think that's partly why so many, you know, major champions over the last ten or fifteen years have come from Ireland and the UK. Because if you can play in those conditions and you thrive in in, in kind of a, a mixed environment, then when you do play in in flat calm conditions, it, it certainly makes the game a little easier. What I also like about Ireland is it seems like there's a fireplace and like a cozy chair and couch and a bar nearby, pretty much everywhere you go. Yeah, it's definitely a full day uh, ordeal. You know, you you go and you play, and then you have some food. And uh, the social aspect of having having a couple of drinks in Ireland is 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 key to that kind of the cultural side. And um, you know, it's a way for everybody to gather together. And, and certainly, the weather uh, makes you want to come in and have a, a warmer drink, or you know, a soup or a, a bowl of stew for sure. Uh, it's certainly the weather. And, at times, I, I've uh, I've been wearing gloves and hats and mitts and bits of these, and you're still freezing by the, the time you get around the turn. Uh, you, you say it's a, a bit of an all-day event there. Um, I know that's a little bit of a complaint for some people over here, uh, just talking about how long it takes to play a round of golf by the time you get play the round and stuff. And there's been talk of you know shortening courses and things like that, like you know going out and just playing 15 or 12 holes or something. What about in Ireland? Do people are people still happy to go out and play, even though it's uh, you know it's very time consuming? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a both camps. I think uh, for sure golf takes a long time, and if you're away from your family, um, you know, taking five and six hours away from from that can can certainly be taxing. But I think uh, I certainly grew up in a family where we'd all play golf together and we'd all go to the golf course together and try and you know spend time there together. And I think that that's a, a big piece of that. And, and having junior access in that way allows families to kind of be together and spend time all day, which, uh, you know, I had a great childhood from that perspective, playing golf with my dad all the time. It's funny, though, because I've spent some time over there, and it sure seems like golf that you get around a lot quicker, and I, I try and figure it out. I mean, you're on, you know, on a course with lots of blind shots, and there's places to lose your balls, but you get around in, you know, three and a half, four hours, it seems. It, it, do you know any reason why that would be? I find that sometimes people, they're walking straight to their balls more than they're you know, walking in a group around the golf course. Is that more uh, the way they golf over there? Yeah, I think so. The golf is pretty competitive. I, I think people play, uh, certainly in the, the, the member weekend competitions, are all very much about playing and playing well and doing their own thing. And, and so, you know, the camaraderie comes from having a match against somebody else and, and, you know, talking about it afterwards. But they definitely go about it. And I, I think 
sometimes just being out in that weather, it, it, there's no point in hanging around. You got to go and do your thing pretty quickly. Yeah, you're talk, talking about the weather. I, I had the chance to be in Northern Ireland a few months ago, and we we got to Royal County Down and and Royal Port Rush. Got to play them both. But at Royal County Down, we got there and there was a, a rain delay. And first we're thinking, oh, that's okay. There was some standing water on the greens, but then sort of one hour went by and two hours and three hours. And we started thinking, oh, did we come here and we might not get the golf today, but they opened the course. They opened the course from the bar at about the same time. So the day took a fantastic turn. Um, but one thing I noticed after our round is they had uh, something called a drying room. It's like a giant closet where you just stuck all your stuff cranked up this like little furnace and and you know an hour later all your soaking wet gear is dry is that's is that something they have at a number of courses there or is that unique to royal county down yeah i think when rain is as common as it is and uh, you want to you want to get your gear in that that's what happened you strip off and get your stuff uh set out and you go upstairs and have some food have a drink and then come back down and hopefully it's a little drier for sure that's fantastic okay so let's get to royal port rush um I want to talk a bit about the town because it it's, it doesn't look like you can go much further north in Northern Ireland than Portrush, and it also looks like there's maybe one or two roads getting in there. What what sort of town is it, and and how uh, excited do you think they'll be for the to have the open there? Yeah, it is a small town. Uh, you know, there are, there are three beaches, and they're called the North, the East, and the West Strand. So you kind of get the the picture of, of where that is. It really is on a spit of of land. If you look. You know, on Google Map, where you look down on top, the the harbour itself is literally the the last point. Um, you know, on a nice day from Portrush, you can actually see the tip of Scotland. So it's it's really uh, the Atlantic Ocean, and then uh, over over across to Scotland, and that and that harbour. That's really what you see. Um, the town itself uh, grows considerably because it's a, a little bit of a summer town. You know, when when people go and they visit and they're, they're potentially there for the open, they'll see you know lots of nice cafes and restaurants and things and, and bed breakfasts and fun fairs and things that are designed for kids because it really is a, a Saturday Sunday kind of town where people from Belfast, people from other parts of Ireland, they'll come to and use it as a bit of a seaside. The beaches are beautiful there, um, but in the winter it can be pretty harsh and the, the town definitely shrinks down and. Um, you know, it gets a little bit grayer and the days are a little, a little shorter. So, you know, the golf course is really what brings a lot of people there at that time of year. And, and there's actually two golf courses as part of Royal Portrush. The Valley course is the second course, which uh, a lot of the, 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 the kind of locals would play. It's an artisan golf course, they would call it, where, you know, the local man, you have to be within five uh, five miles of that uh, particular golf course to be a member there. So hmm. um, a lot of the town would spend time either at Royal Portrush or at the Valley course. And that's really what makes up the town. And um, I loved my time there. The people are, are super friendly. Uh, obviously, I wasn't from Port Rush, but I, a lot of my you know long-term friends are still there. And um, the McAlpin family own a series of restaurants called the uh, you know the Harbor and the Wine Bar and uh, uh, a couple of others. And, and so they've really kind of created this real buzz down at the Harbor side with fantastic quality food. So there's a lot there's a lot to like it as well as the golf. Now, is the course open to the public all the time or? It's mixed. It's a, I would call it a semi-private if you were to compare it to something here. There are certainly tea times available most days, but uh, the member play would kind of dominate the weekends. Um, there's probably two or three hours in the morning, two or three hours in the afternoon for the, for the most part available for, for tea times. But I think I think they're short or hard to come by at the moment with the open and, and people want to play there. And, and cost-wise, how does it compare to North America? Is it a lot cheaper to play a round of golf in Ireland? I think on the average golf course, yes. I think, you know, Royal Port Rush and Royal County Down, they're both in the top 10 in the world. And I, I, I think they're probably, you know, given that you can go and play those in a lot of the, the top 10 in the world that, that are alongside them, you can't go to that. They're so private. I would say it's 
it's probably fair enough value, um, even though it is very expensive. But it wouldn't be a Pebble Beach expensive. It wouldn't be, you know, in line with, with those kind of golf courses, but certainly the quality would be. You said uh, you had some friends still there. I know one friend of yours is Graham McDowell. Could you talk a bit about how you, uh, how you guys met and the friendship you have? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew Graham as a really good amateur golfer as I was playing. I, I was certainly at his caliber. Um, but then when I was at Port Rush as one of the pros, when he would come back from school, we'd play together a lot. And, you know, he's a very competitive guy. And I was uh, becoming a better professional at that point in time. And, you know, we just had a mutual friendship that kind of grew. And then, you know, as he went back to school, uh, I was pretty intimate in terms of his uh, game and knew, uh, you know, his ins and outs. I spent a little bit of time with him in the States, too. And that, you know, that friendship blossomed into me helping him out every now and then and on tour and uh, doing a little bit with his game, but more more friendship than anything else over the years. And, um, you know, we were the best men at each other's wedding in the end and, uh, you know, still call, call him a good friend, even though we probably don't get to see each other as much as we both like. I imagine you were almost as excited as he was when he uh, qualified this year at the Canadian Open. Yeah, for sure. We we actually had, uh, I was home for a couple of days just before going to the Porter Cup and we had some dinner himself and Shane and, uh, and a couple of the caddies and uh, we had some dinner on a Thursday night where they both played well on Thursday and then they had a good day on, on Friday too. So it was, it was cool that they both played well. Shane finished second and obviously Graham with that putt in the last. Making it took the pressure off and it was great because going to the US Open where he'd won previously uh, at Pebble, he didn't really want to have that, that on his back. He wanted to go there and then be a past champion and to, to see if he could go and play well, which he did. I was just curious. So obviously... You've played a lot of golf at that course, and I'm Port Rush, and Graham McDowell has played a ton of golf at that course. How much of an advantage do you think that will be for him next week? And can you think of any disadvantages? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime you're the you're the home member, you're expected to have that advantage, and I think people talk to that. And you know, at the end of the day, those guys are so good, and the and the the, the shots that you have to hit have to be of such high caliber that. For sure, knowing the golf course and knowing the ins and outs gives you an advantage, but you still have to play great. Um, I think that the added pressure of being a hometown favorite and getting in the way you did and, and you know, people thinking, oh, okay, look, here's a past major champion who's had a really good year, actually, who's coming home, could do really well. And I do think that for Graham. I think he's a very smart golfer. Um, that golf course requires excellent tee shots. You've got to be accurate, and that sets up really nice iron shots. But if you're a good driver of the ball um, and you know how to position it, then generally he'll do well there. And, and I think a little bit like Pebble where he won before and, and some of the golf courses that he's won, it'll certainly set up for him. Um, but, you know, I, I think he'll admit himself, you know, Irish Open last week too, he missed the cup. But sometimes being the hometown golfer and the extra media that you have to go through, it can be a pretty taxing week. And, uh, you know, you, you try and balance that up. It's, I think, why sometimes uh, the Canadians in the past haven't maybe done so well at, the, at their respective Opens just because, you know, the eyes are really on you, and if you play well, you're, you're going to get even more media attention. It's that that fine edge. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we'll get to breaking down the golf course a bit in a minute, but I want to get to a few numbers first. So Graham says he's played the course he reckons 300 to 500 times. Ricky Elliott, Brooks Kepka's caddy, says he's played it a thousand times. Do, do you have any guesses how many times you might have played uh, Royal Port Rush? Yeah, I'd say I'm not just as high as those two guys, but probably a couple of hundred because, uh, you know, I played a lot of golf. We try and get out there almost every day when, when we work there. And um, anytime I get back, we try and play too. We're we're actually at the British Amateur at Royal County Down a couple of weeks ago and I, I brought the girls there and we played with the grandstands up and it was it was great to see it that way because it's a little bit different with the stands up for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, so the golf course, there is... 
Um, a lot of dog legs from what I remember. Uh, I was there about six, six weeks or two months ago. A lot of dog legs, not, maybe not as many bunkers as I, as I saw at some other uh, Lynx courses out there. So what kind of golf course is it? I mean, it's incredibly scenic. Is there any other course you could think of that it, you could, might compare it to? Or uh, just describe a, a bit to people that aren't familiar with the course what it's like. It really is a Lynx course in the sense that it's right beside the ocean. You're going to have, you know, three, four holes that literally have the ocean directly to the side and the beach directly to the side. I think this golf course is one of the fairest tests of Lynx golf that there is out there because a lot of golf courses in the past, the Lynx courses, golf courses in particular, they have mounds that are very naturally spaced out, but you're hitting over them versus through them. And I think Portrush is unique in that way that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you, you generally see where you're trying to go. And I think that's where, you know, for good drivers of the ball, if you can see where you want to go and you're able to plot your way around, I think it's, you know, it plays to a real advantage for there versus trying to cut corners. And I think some of the longer hitters on the par fives will will have an advantage if they can do that. But, you know, the penalty for missing is severely high rough and then being at the wrong angle for the green. And and so, you know, not only is it, it picturesque and scenic, it, it's also, you know, uh, multi-directional so if, if you look at the map of the golf course it's not straight up and down all of the holes tend to kind of move in different directions so you're going to have to deal with every type of wind uh, and so you know just to your comments earlier there's lots of dog legs but you're going to be playing a you know a right to left hole with the left to right wind then you're going to play a left to right hole with the right to left wind and an into and down wind and so you really have to be in command of your game but that's why i think if you if you drive the ball well and you're in good position that you really can't take advantage do you have any uh, favorite holes on the course and any uh, holes that you think will give the pros particular difficulty? Yeah, I, I think the fourth hole is one of the best tee shots uh, in the game. Uh, left, left-hand side of the fairway is kind of dead and rough, and there's a bunker at, at about 240 to carry, and then two more in the, in the middle of the fairway that are about 300. So you have to kind of plot your way between those. You've got to carry it far enough to get over that first bunker, but then not go so far as to, to the pot bunkers in the middle of the fairway and then it's out of bounds all the way down the right hand side and, and so if the breeze blows off the left hand side you could be aiming into the middle of the rough which is no man's land and then trying to avoid that right hand side and that leaves you a, a shot of about 160-70 yards from a really good drive into a very narrow entrance to a green that, that slopes from right to left so you've got to hit another good shot so I, I love that hole because you know it brings you along the right hand side of the golf course and then when you when you go from that uh, green up to the next tee box is when you see the coastline really for the first time from that side of the golf course and it's, it's a pretty epic little stretch uh, I think the par 3 before that which is only about 130 yards um, is going to offer a little bit of a challenge because it's a little bit like the postage stamp in that it, it's a smallish green um, but very undulating you know short, left, right, long you know all of those places it kicks away so you got to hit a, hit a really good shot there I think if it's calm it, it won't offer such a big challenge but for something that looks kind of nondescript, I think that that's a really good little hole. Um, obviously, they've got two new golf holes in, in seven and eight. Uh, seven is a spectacular par five. It's a 600-yard par five that runs the whole way along the coastline. Uh, and it really does a zigzag. If you look at the fairway, it, it kind of goes left and right and left and right again. So you've got to be in the right spot. Your layup isn't a given. Uh, if you absolutely rip a drive, it's a, it's a shot that's to not quite a blind green. You can certainly see the, the back of the surface and the flag, but it, uh, it, you know, you're going to have to hit two incredible shots to, to be able to hold on to that surface. And if you miss, uh, pitching from long left in particular is really, really difficult. Uh, and then the eighth hole is a, a slight dog leg right to left. And again, you've got to be on the right-hand side of the fairway to open up the green. And the green is at a bit of a diagonal to you. So, 
hitting the right shot and being in the right spot really makes a difference there. Um, I think then there's a number of good par four, par five options, the yeah. next parts of the, of the golf course. But certainly when you get to, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, that stretch of holes is unbelievable. And I think, you know, Calamity Corner, which used to be 14 up until they added the new holes, but 16 now is one of the best par threes, one of the hardest par threes in the world. Uh, off the back tee, it's about 230 yards of of complete carry with you know a 40 to 50 foot drop down on the right hand side and and not not a particularly good spot on the left hand side so it literally is an island green uh, from a very exposed surface hmm. and the next hole is a drivable par four so you know you, you make par on that, on that par three or you happen to, to snatch a birdie there and then you get to the next to par four which will play a 17 you know it's a really i would say a big big swinging area in the ground in, in the sense that you know if somebody's leading there by one or two somebody could certainly catch up with them or you know if you need to make a push to try and get the win you could see someone being super aggressive there so i think exciting finishing holes yeah for sure i think um so they got rid of the 17th and 18th hole so now sort of yeah like you said 14 15 16 is the new 16 17 18 i think it's a seems like a great spot for calamity corner there the the par three as the, as the 16th hole i think will add a lot of a drama to the event you, you said fourth was one of your favorite the fifth is sort of it just drops off i was i think i spent about 10 minutes on that green taking pictures down of the beach be, behind the green that's uh it's pretty dramatic you have about a yard behind the green and it just drops off to the ocean yeah a number of years ago about 25 years ago they actually had a, a membership rally where they needed to support the back of the surface because that green was literally falling into the ocean. And oh so, my god! Um, you know, they did a member a membership rally and they 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 fortified that with rocks and different things so that now will never change. But um, you know, it just shows you how close to the coast and and where that that sea actually comes up and, and directed to the right, the white rocks, uh, which look a little bit like the white cliffs of Dover. You know, they're that white stone and mm-hmm. it's absolutely beautiful. You're certainly going to see that in the in the camera and the shots over over and over. But it. That hole is really unique in that, you know, a longer hitter might have a go at that and try and drive the front of that green. Yeah. Um, it's only about 340, but it's all carry, and you got to have the right shape. And if you were to land the ball in that green, there is a risk that it'll, with the Lynx golf course, that that will run through. And then, as you said, it's a yard to out of bounds. So if you drive it through the green, you're you're out of bounds and you're teeing it up again on the teeing ground. So it's definitely a risk-reward hole. I can see some of the longer hitters trying to hit it down, even onto the next tee box and the sixth tee box. Um but, uh, you know, I, I would say the majority of players there will hit a longer round on the left-hand side and have a wedge in. Curious then, Tristan, not to put you on the spot, but if you had to name three or four guys that you think have the best crack at winning next week, uh, who would you pick? Well, you have to think Brooks Koepka with, with Ricky on the bag, with his major championship mentality, with how he's gone there. He's played there with Ricky. Um, you know, Ricky has intimate knowledge of the golf course and what's been going on, and I think you know, you combine Brooks, his record, uh, with that inside knowledge, it's going to be a hard, a hard bet not to do it. I, I think Dustin Johnson, I think, will will play probably well there um, because he's got the advantage in terms of length so he can plot his way around. I do like Rory. Uh, Rory drives the ball so well that it really suits Portrush. He's got the older course record when he was 15 years old. He shot 61 there huh. at the North Irish Championship. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, he's been there quite a few times over the years. Uh, and so, you know, I think both the way he drives it with his current form and with that knowledge, I think he's he's got to be one of the favorites. And certainly from from uh, the Irish perspective, there's going to be a lot of fans rooting for him. Yeah, I talked to Ricky Elliott after the PGA Championship, and he said, I've played the course a thousand times, but I did, I didn't ever hit it where Brooks is going to hit it, so I might have to go back to my yardage book to rethink <laughs> a few holes. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah, uh, Ricky, Ricky was a fantastic amateur too, so 
he's selling his skills a little bit short there. Uh, but uh, to be fair, there's not a whole lot of people like Brooks. What do you think about John Ram then after his uh, win at La Hinch? Yeah, he's kind of he kind of dominates in the Lynx golf courses. He's had such an incredible record at uh, at Irish golf courses, and you know he's got that Spanish flair where he, he's great with the conditions. And yeah, you can't root against John. He's a strong guy. He hits the ball fantastic. Um, and Lynx golf's definitely in his forte. Is La Hinch uh, a similar course to Port Rush, more or less? No, I think it's a little bit different. But uh, you know, there there are some more, more blinder shots there. But the greens are pretty small at La Hinch, and that's you know that plays into John. And, and some of the greens in Port Rush are very similar. It is a, a, a kind of a I would say smaller site in terms of some of the greens compared to some other Lynx golf courses. Royal Kensington's greens would be quite a bit bigger in spots, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, you, that's part of why you got to hit the fairway. So I think as a driver of the ball, you know, John hits it really good off the tee. That's uh, part of why he did well at Lynch. I think if you look at his stats, I think he still staying off the tee. He was one of the best guys. So um, there is an advantage to that for sure. For sure. I, and I think of John Rahm too. He's got you know, the fiery temper. But sometimes I think in Lynx golf, you, you, like you go into it knowing you're going to get some bad bounces. You're going to get some good bounces. I think... The fact that you know that's coming, it's almost makes it easier to handle. Like when you're playing a pristine American PGA Tour course and you get a bad bounce, you, you can start thinking, why me, why me? But you, when you know you're going to get them, there's going to be good ones and bad ones, it might actually help some of these fiery guys handle it a bit better. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, the experienced caddies will know that, you know, when they're mapping the golf course, that they've got to map the areas that are not just the greens and the usual surrounds. You've got to actually map 30, 40 yards before those holes. And, and start to, to realize that, you know, the, the way that you'll play each hole can be very different on a daily basis. I mean, an example at, at the British Amateur a couple of weeks ago in Royal County Down, you know, the, the very first day we played as a practice round, it was a driver and a five-iron into the first par five, and the next day it was a driver, a three-wood and a five-iron, you know, in the hmm. same holes, but just the, the conditions and, and where those holes uh, need to be hit to changes dramatically based on the weather. So re- the, the tournament coming back for the first time since 1951, Obviously, a lot of work went into the golf course. Um, it's going to mean a lot to um, going to mean a lot to the people there. But how has the field changed now that it's become sort? Of, it's it's more popular internationally with the tournament there. Like I'm, I think if you're booking rounds, you're probably looking. You have to book next year if you want to try and get in there. So how is it? Do you think it's changed the town a bit having all this attention on it in recent months and years? I mean, I, I think there's certainly going to be a different uh, different you know person visiting that particular week i think you know instead of it being about the town and the seaside and trying to spend time there it's going to be about the golf course and and much more than normal and, and i think because it's a member play course where there are limited times i think just the volume of people coming in is going to be something that the town has never experienced um and you know i think they're ready for it they've done a, a they've done a good job in terms of the the transport side of things and, and having buses in and out and, and probably closing off some of the roads inside to be ready for it but yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a different market than normal for the town, but they have embraced it, and the you know the Northern Irish government have done a great job in terms of trying to um, you know prepare things properly and to to you know get get some of those areas beautified so that things are, are certainly in the public eye they look fantastic. Just switching gears slightly, I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, the RNA not allowing uh, John Daly to ride a cart. Now, obviously, he pulled out anyway, but I'm just curious. Did you agree with that decision? Yeah, you know, I, I think if you give somebody a cart, I don't think you can limit where they can go. You know, I, I think when you're when you're talking about public play and you're, you're at your home golf course and they say the 90-degree 90, 90 rule, you know, I think you can you can do that when, when it comes to here, but you can't ask somebody who's in a cart for a medical reason to, to stop short of the rough. And I think, 
you know, part of a Lynx golf course is the fescue and it is the, the rougher areas around and, you know, they need to be protected. And so I can see why, number one, they wanted the challenge to be the same for everybody, that it could be that uh, anybody could ride around the car. But then number two, I could see the, the golf course protection side point where, you know, they, they wanted to, to keep it the way it is and not have carts running through different areas that shouldn't have them. So carts are not actually allowed on the course then for normal play? Certain members will have a cart where they maybe need it for a medical reason, but that's legitimately the only reason you're allowed to rent a cart at Royal Rush. Right, okay. All right, well, I think we've learned a lot here. One thing I, I kind of want to know, I'm not sure if you'll remember, but what's your uh, best score at Royal Port Rush? Uh, I saw 64 there one time, playing <laughs> a couple of Swedish professionals and, and Gary McNeil, the head pro. And the reason it was memorable was because uh, we had a request from some Swedish pros to come and play with some of our members. And uh, on the particular day that arrived, the weather was horrendous. People, <laughs> you know, most people wouldn't want to go and play golf. And so all the members who decided to, to play in this match had said no. And so Gary, being Gary, a good player, and I, and I, I was okay. You know, we said, look, we'll, we'll kind of play against your best two players and we'll have a match that way. And, and so Gary and I went out and played with uh, two Swedish pros who have become really good friends. <laughs> Um, and between us, I think we had 25 birdies between the four of us and a, and a really, really difficult day. And, and so it became this thing that, you know, we all played great. Um, and wow. I had a you know, particularly good round in it and sort of not great weather. But uh, that was a memorable one for sure. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, well, I think maybe next month we'll try and have you back on to talk about the CP Women's Open. But as for our British Open preview or the Open preview, we'll leave uh, our chat with Mr. 64 right there. Uh, and we appreciate your time. Anytime, John. Thanks okay. Today. Thanks a lot, Justin. You guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank Take care. We want to thank Tristan for his time. And next week, the forecast will be split up. You will be in Toronto. I will be in Royal Port Rush, and we'll be putting it all together. I'll be uh, looking forward to talking to you from the studio here, getting your insights on various players and the course. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pack a few sweaters. Okay, till next week, I'm... John McCarthy. You can find me on Twitter at John McCarthy's son. And I'm Dave Hilson at Dave underscore Hilson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.